everyone and welcome back to another UK Motor Talk episode. I'm Mike. Hello, I'm Jim and this week I have been mostly infected with Covid. Riddled with which it. Which was great. I was positively riddled with it. But there we go. But I'm still alive so it's okay. Hello, I'm Graham and uh, fortunately I'm not riddled with anything. <laughs> fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Woodworm and the Death Watch Beetle are playing up. Uh, I'm David and fortunately I am hopefully less inclined to be catching the Covid because being old I have had my first jab. Well we were really hoping to keep this episode of our podcast that little bit less morbid but before we do we have to acknowledge Sabine Schmidt. What an absolute talent and what a, a loss to motor racing and let's face it most of us were introduced to Sabine or say a lot of us were introduced to Sabine via Top Gear and, and what a personality it We've uh, obviously spoke about her and uh, and some other motorsport deaths of late, but what I think cheered us all up was the uh, the tribute program, and it was uh, as as these things should be. It wasn't a mourning of her passing, was it? It was just a celebration of her life and a and a collection of people talking about what a joy to work with, but what a joyous human being she was. And uh, I think Clarkson summed it up quite well, didn't he? he? Just said whenever she walked into a room, it just got that little bit brighter. And uh, now I think it was quite clear from watching that just how much that they all loved her to pieces, and and what a fantastic human being she was. But what a whale of a time she had when she was uh, when she was alive. She certainly wasn't uh, short of things she packed into her years, was she? No, she did an awful lot with the uh, the very limited time that she had comparatively. And uh, the word joyous was one that was used on more than one occasion by the various talking heads on that show. And you mentioned um, Clarkson. That was another nice thing that seems to have come of this. You know, obviously we wish it had come about through another way. But um, the three of the old, uh, the old school Top Gear presenters, Clarkson, Hammond and May, were all there to pay their very heartfelt respects. And Clarkson, as you say was very effusive in saying how she lit up a room when she walked in. He was also very grudgingly saying that she ripped <laughs> his driving to pieces as he as he tried desperately to get a diesel jag under 10 minutes around the Nürburgring. And then there was the the wonderful bit where uh, she, she tried to prove that she could indeed get a transit van to go around in under 10 and only just about missed out. I mean, that, that made me smile. It was lovely to see that again. And um, if, it's, if it's still available and you're in the UK or have a very effective VPN, uh, I urge you to go on the iPlayer and, uh, and watch it. Sad thing, but a beautiful thing. So, Graham, you've been mostly squeezing yourself into a rubber suit this week and covering yourself in Vaseline, haven't you? That's <laughs> uh, one of the uh, many April Fools uh, that came out of the industry this week. The Caterham Lube. <laughs> this was to uh, get you into your Caterham as easily as possible. And I did suggest that perhaps a rubber suit was advisable if you were going to use lube of any sort. So. Weird flex, but okay. There's been some crackerjack April Fools. It was an odd, uh, an odd April Fool's, but quite humorous. But the uh, what was the uh, the Volkswagen April oh, Fool's fail, where they it? said that they were going to rebrand themselves as Volkswagen? Well, they released it three days early. 
<laughs> Everybody was absolutely triggered, saying, "Why on earth are you do?" And then somebody said, "Oh, it's an April Fool's." And somebody said, "You know, we, somebody said we've already got a big enough problem trusting you, and now you go and do something <laughs> like this." And it's like, I, you know, I, okay, after after being founded by Nazis and you know testing your emissions on animals and lying about emissions, you know, oh, a name change, oh, that's the last straw, that's it, boycott VW. <laughs> I mean, how snowflakey have you got to be to get upset over what is a bit of a rubbish April Fool's prank? There'll be a class action defamation case now. Yeah, They'll be cl- just, clubbing together in California. You've harmed me. You've harmed me. Where's my lawyer's yeah. number? You owe me £7,000 or $7,000 or whatever it is for getting offended these days. It's uh, yeah, it's, It was ridiculous. But actually, Volkswagen, why not? With an equally dubious historical uh, background, uh, BMW, I think, uh, have over the years come out with some absolute classics and... and one of my favourites was the uh, rubber-coated windscreen. Uh, <laughs> that was somewhere in the mid-90s. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember some of this stuff. Yeah, but I remember the, the, the idea of the rubber-coated windscreen was so flies and insects wouldn't be harmed by the impact with the screen, they would simply bounce off and uh, lay on the roadside to recover at their leisure. Uh, and that, that was followed, I think, the following year. They developed that sort of theme with the... A prescription windscreen that you could take along your your um, your ophthalmic prescription, uh, and they would make a windscreen which was uh, optically perfect for your <laughs> eyesight. Uh, that was an great absolute for gem, resale, like, wouldn't it? They they got a lot of people uh, intrigued by that, and a lot of people didn't realise it was an April Fool and thought it was a brilliant, brilliant German idea. <laughs> that's, maybe, that's that's a German sense of humour, perhaps for you, but. BMW have done done some crackerjacks, and, and David, you uh, mentioned another one that you liked. Yes, the badge wash system of 1988. That is brilliant. Because that is you've brilliant. paid for the badge, you want everyone to see that you have paid the extra for your ultimate driving machine, and you don't want that badge <laughs> sullied by dirt and grime. So this thing would sense, it was ahead of its time, it would sense any dirt or grime on the white portions of the BMW roundel, and a uh, wash wipe would leap into action and uh, make it nice and squeaky clean for you again. I've never never seen a bmw from far enough away to see the badge all i can ever see is just the whites the eyes of the person behind me <laughs> quite often quite often wearing a high-vis jacket with the word echilop written across the bonnet these days. <laughs> oh you see you say that we were driving along today and there was a there was a police car just merrily witnessing the general level of the person driving in front of us cutting across three lanes at a roundabout and then completely and utterly incapable of sticking at a constant speed uh, but the uh, the police car was oblivious to all that but they were driving a Skoda Yeti and I don't think I've seen that a was policeman a driving a Skoda Yeti around at all yes but, an unusual choice. No, Sussex Police have got a couple. Devon and Cornwall have them. They're good for the uh, the rural going off the uh, beaten track and getting people who are sort of hair coursing and the like. I stood some while ago in a queue at a petrol station near the uh, Lewis Police headquarters and, and one of those pulled up and the guy was in the queue behind me and I said, you know, is that what they're issuing you with now? And he said, yeah, times are hard and sad. (laughs) (laughs) Embarrassing to get out of it. Fair enough. I did some off-roading this week as well. Over the weekend, I drove up to the local woods, and despite the fact the car park was unmade and it was all full of mud and everything else, there was still someone managed to get a vantage in there. Who knows? 
But the point is, leaving, I didn't have to be particularly careful and much to my wife's dismay, just absolutely had it over the undulations, puddles and everything else, just threw the focus about until we found a tree stump and realised it would rip the sump off. But what a fantastic way of going off-roading. It's very refreshing. 200 kids <laughs> worth of car. Brilliant. So how did you get it home then if you'd ripped the sump off or was it not ripped off enough that you could oh. just sort of nurse it home? No, no, we managed to avoid that. I'd stopped by this point without sliding into the stump, which was which was pretty handy. Oh, ah, I see. No so one wants were... a wounded stump. No, or a wounded sump, more importantly. <laughs> a colleague of mine some years ago took delivery of his uh, new company car and decided to uh, take it up north to show mum and dad. On the way back, he um, fell foul of something on the M1, which took the sump plug out. So... Um, the car was two days old and the engine was completely lunched. Just It just smashed its way off the sump. Who was oh, on the M1? That, oh, I see. <laughs> you say he stopped at a services, someone just took it out. No, he, he obviously hit something with a fairly substantial impact, took the bottom out of the sump, and uh, that was it. Following on from your uh, your off-road story, Mr Gates, we've had uh, some televised off-roading in uh, in the form of Extreme E. Didn't Extreme we? E. I thought that was quite uh, entertaining. If uh, even if the racing was was wasn't quite racing, it was who gets the best start, and then the two people behind you can't see all for the rest of the race. Uh, it was, um, but it was uh, it was quite entertaining. I mean, I think the the format obviously need a bit of tweaking, and uh, you know, the, it'll get better and it'll develop as things go along. There's always teething problems with uh, new series and new cars in particular. You know, lack of spare parts and things. But overall, I thought it was quite a, a good spectacle and uh, and well worth watching. I quite enjoyed it. I don't know. I, I have to say, I didn't find it exciting racing. I thought it was fairly dull, to be honest, but then that might improve as the as the spectacle uh, lurches its way around the globe. Graham just doing his best to remove our uh, press passes from uh, the next round of extreme <laughs> meet that might be a bit, a bit a bit nearer to us, but just just on the off chance we get called up to the uh, the Amazonian jungle. To be honest, if if you're going into the desert, I rather enjoyed more the sight of uh, of uh, Egypt celebrating its history by moving all of the bodies. Uh, I thought that was far more entertaining, if slightly slower. <laughs> Fair enough, but it was—I thought the um, obviously the the racing was uh, was a little bit tricky with the dust, wasn't it? But I think the 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 next rounds of it are this was certainly the most dusty uh, venue that they're going to, wasn't it? To to highlight the ill effects of desertification. Um, I think once you end up in uh, more muddy or icy places obviously the um the racing will be a, a tad more spectacular so it'll be interesting to see how uh, drivers from the dis- different disciplines get on with it because uh old carlos Sainz did well but he's he's fairly used to that kind of racing isn't he but i think at one point they did ask uh karun chandok what the uh you know what the drivers were going through at this stage and he sort of just I haven't got a bloody clue. I've never driven one of these. Well, I've never driven anything. I've never done that before. You know, I've, I've driven a lot of things. I've, I've, what's he doing now? No, I've never done that. And it was, <laughs> but it was quite uh, spectacular. And a couple of a uh, couple of quite big offs and uh, and big barrel rolls when they dig in. That's uh, one of the issues on sand, isn't it? Once it goes a bit sideways and digs in, it mm. uh, it tends to barrel roll a few times. And um, I think one was it. Uh, it wasn't Saracen, was it? Because well, Saracen had a big roll. 
but did they did they have to stop? Because I think they were they they cracked a roll cage, hadn't they? And they didn't have a spare roll cage to put in it, and uh, and that was it. But obviously, I, I would hope the uh, the spares package will improve again as uh, things go on. Some of those uh, driver walkaways from spectacular rolls were were just amazing. As you say, when when it goes wrong in the desert, it goes wrong in a very very big way at those speeds and. Uh, uh, for the cars to end up where they did with the amount of bits missing that they did and the driver just to get out and walk away is certainly testament to the the solidity of the construction. Just for those of us who didn't see it, I unfortunately had other things going on at the weekend. I'm going to try and sort of catch up with it somehow. Where were we all watching it? I know it's available to uh, view, certainly here in the UK, on a number of different platforms. Where was the majority's uh, money placed for viewing this weekend? I mean, I, I watched pretty much all of it on YouTube, and then I think at one point it was on about six different TV channels at the same time, wasn't it? The, the only thing I found a bit irritating was I was watching it on YouTube because they were streaming it live, and you could pause it and walk away and come back to it and do whatever you wanted to do. Everything apart from the final. The final just didn't appear live on YouTube at all, and I was sort of sat there, refresh, refresh, where's it gone? So I want to watch that, I want to watch that. And then uh, and then I ended up watching it on, um, yeah, one of the Eurosport channels, I think. But there their YouTube channel is is very very good. You can see uh, all the reruns of all the live shows, and you can see all the highlights of everything if that's your thing. And it's uh, and it's quite good. Again, I think that the highlight editing probably needs a bit of work. But the first time you're watching an event like that, you're not quite sure what's happening. So when you've got ten and a half seconds to put a highlights reel together, it gets a little bit tricky. But it was. Um, no, it was good. Like I say, just it it'll be better racing when they're on a surface that allows you to see where you're going if you're not in first place it was probably akin to 10 to 15 times worse than driving in the wet i would have thought with mm. uh with visibility because that just how long the dust hung in the air for it wasn't just a oh if you drop back a couple of meters or go left or right by half a meter you'll get a better view it was no if if you're within 38 seconds of him you can't see anything no matter how wide you go it, fortunately you, you don't normally drive behind a sand blaster which was the 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 effect that they were they were creating essentially the in car camera you just you couldn't see a damn thing in front of you and if if people were wandering off the track that was hardly a surprise some sort of form of infrared camera might be an idea so you can like the mercedes had many many years Great ago idea. where you could actually yeah there you go and then you could see through the dust perhaps that's a modification that'll allow them in the future I think the S-Class still has night vision, doesn't it? I'm sure the last one we drove had a... a, a I can't remember if it was heads up or whether it was in the cluster. They certainly used to have them in the cluster. The, oh, yeah. Uh, they they were the first to do it. I think that was that's probably what I meant. Um, I'm sure others have now probably cottoned onto it, but I remember the S-Class being the S-Class was the thing that did it. That's a bit of technology they might be able to um, bring across BM, if Mercedes decide they want to join in at some point. <laughs> Just a solution for you on this one. It will work very well. <laughs> I think I'd probably go with the augmented reality sat-nav. Have you driven one of their cars with this? They have the... In front of you, has a camera, obviously, dead head. Um, and it superimposes the arrows over the top of oh, the, yeah. the live image. That's incredible. What a great way to... It's like a video game. It's like animated <laughs> chevrons, yeah. yeah this sounds it. a little bit like trying to play Mario Kart, but you yes. cover up the top half of the screen, so you're only allowed to look at the bottom half, which has got the map on it, and it shows you roughly where you are. And where the other cars are, you've got to kind of guess at the rest of it a little bit. So, instrument flight rules in a car—that could be novel. Yes, <laughs> that's it. Got to be a bit of do it completely in the dark, no lights, 
<laughs> just, just out there with only with arrows and with some night vision, hope for the best. The penalties in the extreme. Basically, if it all goes wrong, they're going to come out and they're just going to punch you square on in the face. Well, it was, they might as well have done, to be fair. Because I think it was the, the, their approach to speeding in the uh, in the pit area, uh, not so much the pit lane, just the, the pit sandbox bit of it, was uh, was quite quite harsh in terms of seconds for. Uh, Every mile an hour that you went over the speed limit, wasn't it? it was quite draconian speed penalties. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that decided because one team was what fifteen kilometres over and and well over a minute lost was the uh, was the time penalty. So was, I mean, it's a good deterrent, you know. Don't do it; it will annihilate your qualifying and ruin your race. So I suppose if uh, if you're going to have a speeding penalty, you know, if you want people to not do something, then make the penalty very harsh. Uh, you know, if the penalty was only half a second for every mile an hour you just barrel in flat out wouldn't you and make up the time that way but do you think it's going to improve oh yeah yeah it will yeah uh, i'm quite uh, enthused to know that it's on youtube because uh, i just had visions of it being sky's got this and no one else is going to have it but it's quite nice to know there's one point of access that is available to all which uh, which is quite refreshing in this day and age of having to subscribe to about 40 different things in order to watch any number of programs that you want to see these days unless my memory is failing me completely i saw it on itv Ah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, the like I say, the the only thing missing from YouTube was uh, was the final final, but there are highlights, so presumably they'll add that on in the next couple of days. But I mean, everything was well served on YouTube, which was uh, was pretty good. But no, the the racing is it. I think this this round was pretty much a time trial with a a kind of pretense of a race at the end of it. Just the the conditions just didn't allow for it. So maybe when they uh, they go back again next year, or they know it's going to be very very dusty, maybe it will just take on more of a time trial effect. Or they'll they'll let them go at one minute or two minute intervals and and have it more like a a pursuit race at a cycling track you know that kind of thing will, will keep the action up because it was if if you didn't get a good start or the other guy got a slightly better start then and, and you were second or third you had absolutely no chance of winning after the first three or four hundred meters which is um is obviously not what it should be about but when they're on uh you know a muddy surface more like a rally cross surface or an ice surface or something like that i think those things are going to be quite spectacular to watch them racing because they're they're big old beasties as well so watching something of that that size and that weight pelt around at the speeds they do is uh, is always entertaining plus they sound like radio controlled cars as well so it brings back good memories this is the thing, because my little boy has got this, my first car, and it's called a Billy Big Wheels, and it describes itself as the first SUV for children, and it's great. Um, but it, nevertheless, it's bright yellow, and it looks just like these things. And whenever I see one, I can't help but think of his little remote-controlled car. Um, we'll post a link up to it so you can see what it looks like. But yeah, it's uh, there's something about it that does have that, that real RC car look about it. That crossed with maybe a Dakar racer. The only modification I'd want to make to the cars would be, in proportion, something that looks like an aerial stuck out of the top of it. You know, a, a 30 like foot the long Nomad. plastic tube with a little yeah. black bobble on the top of it. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like the Nomad. I, I don't know why it has that other than to make it look like a radio control car, but it looks fantastic. Well, Here's the thing, because technology's moved on so far now, but I got given a um, a little remote-controlled Vantage for my birthday, kind of as a, a little novelty present from um, from my mum and dad. And my little boy's been chasing this round, and gearbox has gone, so let's take it, let's this, this hope this is an, an omen for my, my future desire to own an Aston and have it for five minutes and the gearbox explodes. Um, but nevertheless, that doesn't have an aerial or anything. It's quick, it's really manoeuvrable, 
I think they're about eight or ten quid. I can't believe it, how good they've got, the little remote-controlled cars now. They used to be rubbish, the cheap ones, didn't they? In fact, they used to be connected with a wire when I was a kid. Yeah, I think, yeah, you had, the, I've had a few cheap, crap radio-controlled cars. Mm. And the, the cheap <laughs> ones really were cheap and crap. And then, But you didn't have to spend that much more. You know, 130 quid got you a, a Tamiya kit, but they're, they're still 130-odd quid these days for a Tamiya kit. And you think, well, I don't know why you buy, bother buying anything cheaper, to be honest. Mm, they are really good. And you can make them quick with your pocket money. Mm. I may have mentioned this before, but the kid down the road from where I used to live used to have uh, quite a nice Tamiya thing. He had a couple of them, actually. But unfortunately for him, every time I pressed the transmit button on my big overpowered CB radio set, it went round in circles in reverse until I stopped <laughs> pressing the button. <laughs> you had to get it on the right channel, but it was a huge amount of fun watching him standing right next to the thing couldn't control it but yet me about 200 yards up the road with a big aerial on the back of the house could (laughs) you big meaning yep moving on from there and we've had uh, Damon Hill in the news today he's uh, he's been caught speeding a couple of times and he uh, admitted having to go on a couple of speed awareness courses didn't he I mean can, can you imagine that would be one of the highlights of my life, because I've I've had to go on a speed awareness course before, and I I went fully equipped to um, educate the person as to why I should be allowed to speed and and nobody else should, or my car was better and my reactions were better, so I should be allowed to do a hundred miles an hour. Whilst if you drive a Honda Jazz, you should only be allowed to do seventy miles an hour, etc. But can, can you imagine rocking up to a speed awareness? Hold on, course? hold on, hold. No Honda Jazz has ever done seventy miles an hour, right? <laughs> Let's clear that okay, up. but well, okay. For, proportionally, for every seventy miles an hour they do, I I should have been allowed to do one hundred and four. I, I worked out the stopping distances like a nerd. But can you can you imagine rocking up to a speed awareness course, and you're sat next to Damon Hill? I mean, that that would just make the whole day worthwhile. You'd, I mean, because. You know, I'm sure Damon Hill charges a couple of quid to turn up at an event or do after-dinner speaking or present your TV show or whatever. And you think, for 80 quid or whatever a speed awareness course fine is these days, you get to spend all day sat next to Damon Hill. You think, that's that's not bad value, is it, for those that turned up to it? But it just can you imagine being sat there as as a learned police driving expert with... Many, many hundreds of thousands of motorway ones, and, and oh, it's a Formula One world champion. You just it, all your credibility goes out of the window, doesn't it? And and who are you going to listen to, the Formula One world champion or some bloke telling you not to drive so fast? Do you think? Well, the angle that I really enjoyed with that story was the fact that uh, this is obviously some years ago, because uh, I also have done one of those courses, uh, and you had to use your real name. Uh, but apparently the first time that uh, Damon did this must have been just after 96, just after his world championship, because they were allowed to use aliases or alii. So he signed his card at the front of uh, his position, the champ. It's a bit of a giveaway, <laughs> isn't it? So what, what, what do you do for a living? Well, he wondered why people were looking at him. M. Schumacher. that would throw him there's something about you it doesn't quite add up young man right sit at the back and be quiet I saw him a few years ago he was driving this wasn't that long after he won the championship we're at a petrol station not a million miles from from here turned up in a clapped out um, Renault 
scenic, you know, the little people carrier <laughs> thing, looking looking like he'd just been dragged through a hedge backwards, paid 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 for five quids worth of fuel, and I swear to God it was him. You know, it wasn't like the gold Amex and out of the way. Don't you know who I am? It was yeah, literally. It's, it's like probably he'd just been down the tip because that wasn't that far away. He'd probably just taken a lot of crap, and it was the nanny's car. But it just felt quite incongruous to me to see this man who, you know, only sort of a year or two before I'd seen sort of king of the world striding upon it every trophy he could possibly want and then sort of he's just come back from the tip wearing baggy old surf shorts and um five quids of the petrol please very strange it'd be typical if that's what he was caught speeding in <laughs> <laughs> well yeah that's what made me think yeah it's probably the way isn't it because if you're driving something like that you just get in it and you just end up driving it flat out everywhere but it's amazing how many racing drivers do have a completely normal family car to tootle around in and don't drive fast on the roads at, at all at all. Uh, but then you get some drivers go the other way. I remember being at, at Silverstone for a day up there. I think it was mini racing or something like that. And one of the blokes turned up and he was a little bit late anyway, but he turned up and there was smoke pouring off his front brakes and the thing was ticking away. It sounded like he'd been absolutely hacking it in this car. You know, you could smell the burning rubber and, and you could smell the brakes cooking themselves. Well, the bloody hell have you been up to? He's like, oh, I'd, I'd, I've just seen... Juan Pablo Montoya driving around and we, we just had a bit of a race uh, like you do so he'd, he'd obviously got a bit carried away trying to hang on to the back of Juan Pablo Montoya uh, before he turned up at Silverstone said, oh did, did you win said, no not at all at all all oh, right fair enough. and I think I broke my car trying to keep up with him as well but uh, yeah I think Juan Pablo was uh, was certainly a more enthusiastic road driver but if, <laughs> if you were driving along and you did see a Formula One driver in the car next to you you'd, you'd just have to have a go wouldn't you just because even if they're not paying attention and not trying if you get there in front of him at least you can say you've beaten them in a race even if they don't know they're racing if you were the f1 driver is this a bit like when you have a relatively quick car and if you drive something that is or looks relatively fast and every boy racer just wants to try and race you in their rubbish little limited edition Corsa 1.2 this that the other that's really really fast and do you think they just sit there and go oh god is another one it's got to be, hasn't it? After, after you've driven a, a car and cornered at 5G and done 220-something miles an hour to two or three millimetres away from somebody else at that sort of speed, yeah, to, you, you're not going to get much adventure out of driving at 17, 10% plus 2 miles an hour, 79 miles an hour, right? It's, it's just not going to hold the same <laughs> appeal, is it? Bombing it around McDonald's car park. There's a story that uh, Derek Bell told me some years ago. In his early days of driving at Le Mans, he was in uh, one of the Ferrari road cars. I think it was something like 275 GTB. But he also had that as a road car, courtesy of the factory. And in driving himself and his wife back from qualifying to their hotel, and, and she sort of leaned over to him and said, Derek, don't you think maybe 160 miles an hour is a little bit too quick for the road? Basically, he was, as far as he was concerned, he was still racing. He just got into that sort of mindset and into that seated position, and he's just flooring it. He's always been a chap that's been incredibly comfortable behind the wheel, hasn't he? Because he was saying about heading down the Molson and, and the fact that he would just be sitting there and you know checking his watch, adjusting his gloves, whatever he was doing was, whilst he was hacking along just before you had to, to go into the next bend. And you think to be able to be in that mindset, you could be so comfortable at that speed in the car. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? It's his office, though, isn't it? It's, it's very, very calm and laconic behind mm. the wheel and 
I can remember some years ago sitting beside him in a Mark II Jag, and um, we, we're coming off Lavant straight into the the bend at the end, the name of which escapes me for a moment, and he's just sort of 150 or thereabouts, and oh, I fear the brakes may have perhaps given up on us this time. Thank you, Derek. That's <laughs> just what I needed to know. Well, talking as we were there about the Le Mans circuit and Derek Bell's uh, scratching various parts of his anatomy at 160 miles an hour on the back straight, it did remind me that uh, Gordon Murray, the uh, the car that we do mention fairly often, well, I certainly do because I'm quite impressed with the thing, the T50 has uh, has broken cover and, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, has done a very slow but uh, quite entertaining lap around Dunsfold in first and second gears, I think. But uh, Cosworth have released, or Gordon Murray has released a video of the Cosworth engine doing a simulated dyno run around Le Mans and the thing sounds otherworldly. It's like listening to a racing car. I mean, I know you, Graham, were hugely impressed by this and uh, shared it with us, and uh, I, I certainly enjoyed it a few times. I, I turned it right up with headphones on. It sounds awesome. It is It is just a brilliant soundtrack, and I, I like to work my way around the track. Now, uh, see if my memory is failing or not. Did it not include the two chicanes that are now there, rather than the older track, which was straight through, which I think would have been... Uh, more entertaining in some ways, but the dyno run was uh, as it currently is and uh, very, very impressive. That thing revs and revs and revs. It's just extraordinary. It's howling. It sounds like a thoroughbred race engine, which is basically what the thing is, isn't it? Mm. I'd, uh, I'd just like to hear a, a T50 track day, you know, a T50 only track day for uh, for all of those, just to, mm. uh, to see what 20, 25... I mean, how many is it going to make? I'm not sure. But as many as you could possibly get together around Brands Hatch Indy Circuit at the same time, and just to, uh, to amplify and echo the noise that little bit more would sound phenomenal. The busybodies with the decibel meters would have their work cut out there, I think. Ah, be fine, be fine. When you think about how the internal combustion engine is fizzling out amongst lots of mainstream manufacturers and they get smaller and smaller and smaller and then suddenly you know, they'll be disappearing. This is the swan song for ice. And what what a song. It's a symphony is what it is, in fact. It's, it's glorious, absolutely glorious. You can't fail to be moved by it if you've, if you've lived your life with engines racing engines and and all of the sounds that we we've all enjoyed since we were kids because you know the one thing we all have in common is we've been into cars since we were kids you can't gainsay that that sound you know it, and it will carry on for a very limited number of people they will have access to places where they can buy and run uh, these these cars and and you know that's that's I don't believe is going to stop for the rest of us it will but for a very, very small number of very wealthy people, it, it won't stop. And fortunately, I think, there'll still be fairly far-sighted people like Gordon Murray who will continue to design those cars for uh, a, a, that small number of people and design them and build them in very limited numbers. And uh, long may it continue, but in a small way. This is going to sound odd, but hear me out here. I don't know if any of you have seen... That pottery show, the, what, the great British bakery pot off, whatever it is. I don't know. But yeah, anyway, yeah. my wife, she really, really likes this program. And, and yes, yeah, it's a relatively entertaining tea time watch. But there's a guy on there um, who's mm, got a sparse amount of hair. You know the one I mean. 
brilliant potters, ceramicists, careful, what have you. Careful, careful. Um, well, he, it, it's there. It just, you know, it's anyway, nevertheless. But he gets really, really emotional about people making pottery. And oh, yes. And then they bring yeah. out a jar and he'll cry at this jar. And it always strikes me as a bit odd, but he's into it. And I, and I might be completely alone here, but when I hear the right sound of an engine, there's something about it that makes me feel a bit emotional. And it's a bit like when you hear, if you hear a Merlin engine, a Spitfire something fly over. Yeah. Obviously, I wasn't in the war, like a huge amount of the gammon that like to fetishize the war and everything else. But that sound, that particular note of that engine is incredible. And it's there's something about it. You can, you can hear the, you can hear this in me now. That I'm talking about it. It's the same when you hear, when you hear something like that engine, or you hear a, a Cosworth DFV, or you hear a Ferrari F40 at, at full chat or something. And there's something about it that just gets me. And I, I I don't know what it is. It's not it's not that I'm sad about it, and it's it's not that it's tears of absolute joy. But there's something that that I can almost feel that sound. And this is the it's same. Evocative. It is, and it, it's this is. You people say you don't go to a football match, so you can see the football because you can see it better on TV. And it's the same with something like the F1, I guess, or any kind of 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 racing on a circuit because you only see a bit of them as they go fruh, 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 disappear around the corner. You could actually see who was leading, but the sound, the feel of it, it surrounds you, doesn't it? It's when something's so loud, you, you can just feel it, and it, there is something about that noise that I find very emotional and I shall really, really miss that when you don't get it so much. And I was stood just at the side of the road the other day and it's, it's a different level entirely. But the cars are going past and I realised all you can hear is the tyre noise because a Morris Minor went past. Not a spectacular sounding car like a Mini that's in a classic Mini sort of fart the way past you. But even when I was a kid, which was sort of early 90s, each car still had a relatively individual sound. You could still hear mm. the cars mm. as they went by. Mm. And it's it's kind of gone. It's just tyre noise now. And soon there'll be no real noise at all. It's sad. It is sad. I'm very lucky. I've got a... Uh, I live not very far from an airfield which has a Spitfire. Um, and that Spitfire is owned by somebody who, uh, who does displays and stunts and so on. Uh, so that regularly comes over my garden. Uh, and you know, I'm 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 not of that generation in the war. I'm not long post-war, but that sound does give me a buzz every time. And I cannot sit indoors while that noise is going on outside. Mm. I've got to go out and watch it. You know, it's just mm. uh, there's there's no logic to that. It's just an enormous buzz every time I hear it. And I'm say so I'm very lucky because. We live near uh, a valley which is very sparsely populated. That's where she chooses to do her practice for her displays. So um, it's stunning every time. I, th- I think the more m- modern equivalent of that, and I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, I can. I'm a bit of a aeroplane noise geek myself, and I can. You can hear a Merlin, you know, coming a mile off. It's the mm. same with Chinooks. You can you can yes. feel the yeah. thudding yeah. before you even see yeah. the things. It's a fantastic noise. Yeah. You you know the the inside shakes, but the one I think of our generation was Concord. We lived not a million miles away from Heathrow when I was a bit younger. And at a certain time of an evening when it was taking off for the sort of the nighttime flight back into day for 
for the New York run, you could hear this thing, and it was like the sound of ripping calico as it took off and then sort of shut the engines down to prevent the mm. noise abatement, people around Sipson and Hanwell and all that getting up in arms. But, you know, regular as clockwork, you just knew it and you were accustomed to it. And when it went away, even though I'd moved away by then, the, the thought that I wasn't going to hear Concord again was a really sad one it was a similar mm. thing was the the vulcan you know the famous howl yes. that thing makes when, oh, yeah. it, when it's that's sort of revving up to take off again yeah. that's something we've lost although i think you can still hear that because they still do taxi runs which is something but yeah it's a it's it's part of your makeup if you have you know like like we do you have the the equivalent of petrol running through your veins it's mm. going to be a hard habit to break and you know we're going to have to do it but you know i gave up smoking so i suppose i could give up <laughs> the internal combustion engine but it's going to be difficult but didn't they do uh wasn't there a vulcan flyby uh festival of speed or revival revival a yeah, few past. years ago yeah and i and i remember because I, I i know very little about planes other than you know when you get on and where your seat is and what time it takes you to your holiday i really don't know too much more about planes than that but i remember watching the the vulcan and then hearing it and just thinking that's terrifying and we're not even at war and even if we were that plane would be on my side can you imagine seeing that mm-hmm. coming towards you and thinking the bloke who's flying that doesn't like me very much i mean that that would have just made you run away i suppose that was half the idea of it wasn't it but it was yeah mm. it it chilled you the noise of that because when you thought about what it meant to the other side all those years ago imagine a squadron of them they were uh, the the vulcan an extraordinary noise and extraordinarily loud and uh, i can remember many many years ago they brought one into the shoreham air show when there was still a Shoreham Air Show. I'm talking about probably 30 years ago, something like that. And they flew it, uh, or the flight path, uh, into its display was down uh, the High Street Lansing. We lived in a top-floor flat at the time in Lansing. And it came through at such low level that it took out dozens of windows, just the (laughs) volume and the air pressure from the engines. I mean, it was very, very low. Uh, and there were a lot of complaints and a lot of uh, compensation claims afterwards. But we we lost two windows. Uh, one or two shop windows went out as well. It was um, it was quite spectacular. Sure, it was my hometown, and the air show was used to fly down the, the main road where I I lived. They they flew down and they fly over the top. And I remember as kids standing on just on the top of the wall waving enthusiastically at the pilots as they came down, and they could see you and wave back. Mm. Sometimes they'd be kind enough just to. Just, you know, just to just to move the wings, just give that little that little that little wave. It's, it's incredible. I, I miss Shaw Mesho. I had a bizarre experience at Revival. I think it was year before last. Finding on sale a photo of myself, which I'd completely forgotten about, to be honest. The, you weren't in that rubber suit, the, were you? No, 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 no. So draped over uh, the no. bonnet of something. Vaseline. One, one of the more specialist stalls around the back. I <laughs> forty-one. No, I had a, a Spitfire creeping up behind me. I didn't hear Ray Hanna coming because I was filming the car that was opening the event, which was uh, the, the now Duke driving. And this thing practically took my bloody head off. He was so low, uh, and a lot of people got photos of it. And of course, I didn't because I was looking the wrong way. Uh, but I did find that uh, somebody was flogging that, that photo. Uh, did you buy I it? Said to, no, I didn't. I should have done. I said to the bloke, uh, you know, can I have a bit of discount for featuring in it? He said, 
yeah, all right, I knock a fiver off, but it was still 45 quid, and I'm not paying that for a photo. So so I still don't possess it. So if you know anybody that's got that, I'd, I'd really like a copy of it, but not at 45 quid. I drove a car today that steered itself. That was quite a, an experience. I, I know, obviously, we have this kind of uh, autopilot and Tesla and everything else. This had a, an automatic lane centering system and radar-guided cruise control. And as long as you kept your hand on the wheel, obviously, just enough, it was able to steer and quite convincingly make its way through all the bends and speed up and slow down with the traffic in front, which is it, it's difficult to get that level of trust. It's like the first time you try the automatic parking where it nips you back into a space and curbs two of your alloys. That, I actually did that once and it reversed into a Ford Mustang. That was awkward. But then again, it was their demonstration, so <clears throat> they were trying to prove how, the, how brilliant technology was. Yes, to, to get that level of trust, it, it is quite tricky, isn't it? I, that said, I am looking forward to it when it can do it all itself, so that should do very much at all, because motorways and things are just boring, aren't they? You can have a nap. They are. Well, they're yeah. quite quiet at the moment, so they're better than they have been. Well, that's true. Well, you, you say that. Well, I, this weekend was the first weekend when, if you're listening to this, it's uh, just about beginning of April 2021. If you're discovering this way down your uh, podcast playlist, and, and for context, uh, <laughs> it was sunny last weekend and snowing today. But just anyway, yes. 22 yes. degrees and sunny last weekend and and snowing today. I blame global warming. But that's another story. No, this was the first weekend where most people were allowed back out to go and see people. One of the um, the main restrictions was, or the first in our uh, roadmap, to use the phrase, uh, of restrictions has been lifted, which allows you now to go and sit in somebody's back garden as long as there's only six of you. And so being the Easter weekend, a lot of families took that opportunity, and, and we did. You know, we went and sat in back gardens. Unfortunately, the weather was actually fairly good. But the also meant that the roads were a lot busier than they have been of late and the standard of driving just seems to have gone through the bloody floor it's ridiculous up and down the a3 um the amount of bullying tailgating wrong lane use and that was just me i mean god everyone else (laughs) i joke i joke i hope you realize um it was it was pretty bloody awful to be fair and I, I just think this is just going to get worse. Either people have forgotten how to drive or they're just making up for lost time. I haven't been able to be out there and ruining people's days and driving <laughs> like a twat, so it's time I've made up for lost time. Uh, certainly what it seemed to be, and um, I think it's I'm going to be staying off the roads for as long as I can. I'm, I'm sort of amused by this this notion that uh, because of COVID and, and uh, the things we've been through over the last year that we've we've all become nicer and gentler, and kinder to each other. Total bollocks every time you get on the road. There's some complete <laughs> on your tail. And if you're a nanosecond late perceiving the green light, there's a whole queue of traffic going beep, 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 beep. And in case you're wondering, yes, we have all been driving in convoy uh, for reasons of distancing. <laughs> no, it's definitely brought out the uh, the best in some people, but the worst in uh, in a lot of people. But yeah, is, mm-hmm. is it just people being out of practice? Is it like, you know, if you've been on holiday and you used to, you know, if you go on holiday to Italy or somewhere like that, so you, you just about get into the mentality of driving like a lunatic on the wrong side of the road. So, and then when you come back to this country, you have to recalibrate yourself. It's like the last time I drove to Germany, 
And then I was driving back and I thought I'd driven all that way and not got held up by anyone and I was going flat out as fast as I wanted, no traffic, no nothing. And then when when you're back on the motorway in this country, you're you're almost accustomed to sitting two inches off somebody's bumper because you know they'll get out of the way very quickly. So if you're coming up at pace and they pull out, you don't slow down because you know they're going to get out of the way, but then they don't and then they think you're tailgating me. It takes a, a little while to reset your uh, your mindset to it, doesn't it? I don't know. BMW driver Jim Baxter. BMW driver Jim Baxter. <laughs> Address all your complaints to. This the, the, the way, this this was in a Focus ST actually, and that was a, that was quite good fun <laughs> opening it up on the uh, on the way back. So it was a a Partex that we'd already found a a trade in home for, so I didn't need to be careful with it. You know, the customer's brand new one that was taking out there. I was being very careful to. Uh, not run it in because you don't really need to do that, but uh, keep it at a sensible speed and RPM so as not to pepper the front of it with stone chips and vary the revs and whatever else. But on the way back, you know, I knew we were trading it on, so I decided to go as fast as I could. And um, But it's, it's odd, when you sat there at 150, 155 miles an hour, the amount you need to look in your rearview mirror, because it doesn't matter if you're doing 155, there is somebody behind you going a lot, lot oh. faster than you. So you need it's like to pay the attention. Toll. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I had I had that very experience actually. The fastest I'd ever driven up to that point was in a friend's BMW uh, 540. It was one of the rare ones, and Ooh. we were in Germany, herring down near Nuremberg. Literally, the thing was on the end stop. It was limited to 155, and being German, it was exactly 155. <laughs> and there's me thinking I'm king of the road, doing my sort of every curve, every gentle curve is now a very tight corner thing, and observing lorries pulling out in front of me and being very, very careful. But having a whale of a time going, I'm invincible, I'm going as fast as I can. I need to look in the mirror and find a Lamborghini about two inches off my bumper. British plates <laughs> as well, full beaming. God, you've ruined it. You've ruined it, haven't you? I might. That's it. It was probably one of probably one of the magazines. So, because uh, I think we saw a couple of Ferraris further back down the road, probably doing a group test. How fast can we drive in Germany? Because we can. But you know, there's me thinking it's the best thing I've ever done, and only for someone to go and one up me. It's like life, isn't it? <laughs> that that five forty i as you as you observe, there weren't many of them. That was a brilliant engine. I had one for three days on test when they first came out. <laughs> absolutely fabulous one of the truly great engines of of the 90s I, I guess yeah i'd have it over an m5 i mean i was fortunate enough to drive the equivalent m5 and i would have the 540 over it every time because it was just so much more subtle you could just get away with murder in that thing and just look like you were going to a meeting whereas in the m5 you're looking like you're trying to stop the world mm. it was <laughs> uh, yeah huge fun i really like that 90s shape m5 and Unfortunately, my memories of that car are somewhat ruined, soiled, if you will, by a chap who was not my customer, he was someone else's customer, we had to fix the problem, but he also happened to be the world's biggest and he bought one of those when they were not a lot of money, and a lot of them were getting a bit tatty, and he'd taken it to a fast fit centre, I'll let you imagine who that might be and they left the door open, reversed off the ramp and ripped the door off front door off <laughs> <laughs> so it pulled it round far enough so that it hit the front wing and it did a lot of damage and as you can probably imagine the world's biggest <laughs> was the world's biggest 
about this, that, and the other, and compensation. But that's all. I, whenever I see one of those, all I can see is just one of those with the with the front door attached to the front wing. Not very far from your base, there was a Jaguar dealer where uh, way way back uh, late eighties, they managed to get an, an XJ and let it slip sideways off the uh, tower, and uh, it, it landed on its side and rolled onto its roof in the middle of the workshop. Uh, very embarrassing. It's like that when he got here. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. They all do that, sir. <laughs> I, we did have a, a, a guy who'd uh, jumped into a car with a, a left-hand throttle pedal. You can have the, the throttle pedal box converted so that the pedal on the right flips up and you can flip down one on the left. So if you can only use your left leg, for example, you can still drive an auto. Uh, he jump, jumped in, um, put his foot on what he thought was the clutch, um, not thinking that this is automatic. Just put it straight into drive, obviously beforehand, and just drove straight off the. Uh, this is a place that we were earlier, incidentally, uh, Jim. I'm not, not going to mention any names as to where this was. Ah. Uh, and he drove straight off the edge of the. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of like there was like a ramp going into the workshop, over, out the car park, straight over the top, and nose into the ramp. Ooh. Yeah, that was a problem. Difficult to get that out. Really, really difficult. I would imagine it would be a sort of an eighty degree angle into the floor. It was a bit like the uh, the old Ford Durashift gearbox that had uh, it had a wonderful quirk about it. I think if you had your foot on the brake when you put it in gear, and then you took your foot off the brake, it would creep like an automatic. Whereas if you didn't have your foot on the brake and you put it in gear, it wouldn't do anything until you'd blipped the accelerator. But it wasn't <laughs> yes. enough just to accelerate; it would only do something when you lifted off. But somebody at work who shall uh, remain nameless had hopped in here and said, oh, well, I'm going to drive it first because I'm the sales manager, blah, 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 blah. Got in this thing, started up. And then he'd obviously backed off thinking, well, hang on, I've dialed up four and a bit thousand RPM and it's not going anywhere. There's obviously something wrong with this. And the minute he backed off was when the gearbox went, ah, that's this is when I go. And it shot off across the forecourt and knocked down. Uh, you know how brick walls normally end up being sort of square at the end, but on one side of our brick walls, it's not. There's a couple of bricks missing. That's that's how that happened. Ah. <laughs> well, if, Straight over the top of it. If right. memory serves, it's kind of if you imagine, you know, when someone goes to go around about and then you go to go at the roundabout because you think they're going to go and then they decide to slam the brakes on just before they go onto the roundabout and then you end up yes. rear-ending them yes that if you wanted a car if you wanted to design a car to do that that's exactly how you would do it isn't it just, just yes, that moment when you lift off it launches into the car in front great another one it, thanks like a secret launch control i'm surprised it never caught on yeah, so it's almost really was, because like I say, it, it, it did limit it to, I think it was 4,500 RPM when it was not driving along. So, But it did have quite a, a reasonably harsh rev limit to limit it to 4,500. So you did get that bop, 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 as it was cutting <laughs> in and out. It, it did sound quite good. And yeah, but the, when it said go was, was entirely random. It might do it now, or it might do it differently. But next time it'll do something different. So it, it kept me guessing. It was good. Russian Such roulette is the mystery mode. of our faith. Oh. <laughs> it was good. So we would love to leave you with a thought now of uh, Graham in his rubber suit draped over <laughs> the bonnet of something like a, a, a Triumph Spitfire. Why not? Uh, we wouldn't like to leave you with that. Um, I don't think Graham would like to leave you with that either. But Absolutely let- not. So- Certainly not a Spitfire car. I never regarded terribly highly. Hey, <laughs> what car would you like to Very be draped good. over the bonnet in a rubber suit? Well, I'd, uh, the GT6 is acceptable. But... 
there we go. We leave you with that or otherwise just an emotional reminder of our favourite engines. Either way, I think we've got to go before this gets any darker. So from me, Mike, goodbye. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. Look after yourself. From me, Graham, it's goodbye. Take care. And from me, Dave, take care. See you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.